I get anxious just by walking into the locker room. I worry that other students will see me differently because I'm bisexual. The example that your uncle set for all Americans, the, the life he led in the Navy and the life he led afterwards is truly exemplary. And the Secretary of the Navy needed to be here today. Khalil had written to us and said that he had planned his own suicide so that his parents did not have to go through the trouble of killing him. But he heard about the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk. Out the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappell. Ghanaians begin debate on proper sex and family rights. Who fears whom in the high school locker room? And the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk weighs anchor against hate. Those stories and more this week. Now that you found this way out. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Melanie Keller. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news interaffecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending November 13th, 2021. Debate has begun on Ghana's proposed anti-LGBTQ law. Sharp words were exchanged on the promotion of proper human sexual rights and Ghanaian family values bill 2021 in a committee of parliament this week. The draconian measure increases the penalty for private consensual adult same-gender sex already punishable by up to three years in prison. It goes on to essentially make public LGBTQ identity illegal. Some offenders would be forced into worthless conversion therapy. Anyone who advocates for queer rights would be punished. The bill bans medical care for transgender people. It even outlaws sex toys in the West African nation. Attorney Okoto Ampau represented a coalition against the bill before the Committee on Constitutional, Legal, and Parliamentary Affairs. In his opening statement, he argued, the very provisions of the bill stoke hate, bigotry, and violence against a small and vulnerable minority community. There were occasional jeers where Ampau called the proposal totalitarian and unconstitutional, according to Reuters. Apostle Abraham Ofari Koragu of the Ghana Pentecostal and Charismatic Council blamed the West in his opening remarks. He told the committee, LGBTQI plus activities pose a great threat to Ghanaian culture and values. He argued that the measure would protect children and has the support of the vast majority of Ghana's mostly Christian population. In his words, it's a proper vehicle to integrate sound cultural values into our body politic. The committee is expected to hold public hearings for the next 15 weeks, according to Agence France Press. And full debate begins in Ghana's unicameral legislature. Russia's Justice Ministry has added the Russian LGBT network to its registry of foreign agents. The network is one of the country's most high-profile queer advocacy groups with more than a dozen branches across the country. It's best known for helping hundreds of LGBTQ people escape the anti-queer purge in the mostly Muslim Russian region of Chechnya. The network expressed surprise at the foreign agent designation. The label indicates that the designee is receiving foreign funding and is engaged in illegal political activity. Their statement said that the group will continue to operate and that they will be appealing this decision in court. They deny the charge that the organization is involved in political activities. They say it simply offers legal and psychological aid and defends the rights of the LGBT plus community. 
This is just the latest salvo in President Vladimir Putin's growing war on anti-Kremlin activists, NGOs, and independent media. Amnesty International's Moscow office director Natalia Zviagnia called this week's Justice Ministry actions beyond shameful. Foreign agents are subject to higher government scrutiny of their finances and are required to disclose the foreign agent label on all official statements and documents. The sanctions have curtailed the activities of targeted groups, including backers of Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny. Some media outlets critical of the Putin regime have closed because their advertising revenue dried up after they were designated foreign agents. Prominent lawyer Ivan Pavlov and his human rights group Team 29 specialized in human rights cases. Pavlov was forced to flee Russia in September and the group dissolved under mounting government pressure. Still, he and four other attorneys from Team 29 were also slapped with the foreign agent label. Pavlov issued a statement calling the foreign agent designation a state honor for service to freedom of speech and information. A married lesbian couple in the UK is suing the National Health Service for anti-queer bias. Megan Bacon Evans and her wife Whitney are high-profile social media influencers with more than 200,000 followers. In their landmark lawsuit, they describe themselves as being shocked and devastated by the obstacles they encountered under current rules of the NHS fertility branch when they wanted to start a family. Lesbian couples and single women must receive 12 IVF treatments to prove their medical infertility before they can get NHS financial help. That costs tens of thousands of pounds. The plaintiffs call that an illegal gay tax. Like Megan's own sister, The Guardian notes that the majority of cisgendered heterosexual couples are only required to try to conceive for two years before getting NHS assistance. The case could be heard in an administrative court as early as January. Megan Bacon Evans said, It's time for discrimination to end and for there to be equal treatment with heterosexual couples in the healthcare system. It's different in Spain, where government-paid fertility services are now open to all women, including single and LBT and non-binary women. The November 5th edict was issued by Health Minister Carolina Darias of the Spanish Socialist Workers' Party. It restores those women's rights to IVF services, which the former ruling conservative Popular Party had rescinded in 2013. Single and queer women have been forced to pay for those services ever since. Darias wrote on Twitter, We have restored rights that should never have been abolished. Transgender U.S. teens and their parents are fighting back against anti-trans state laws. In Knoxville, Tennessee, 14-year-old Farragut High School freshman trans boy Luke Esquivel was hoping to play on the boys' golf team. A state law signed by Republican Governor Bill Lee in March won't let him. It bans trans student-athletes from competing in school sports based on their gender identity. Lambda Legal, the American Civil Liberties Union, and the ACLU of Tennessee filed a lawsuit on Esquivel's behalf in the United States District Court for the Middle District of Tennessee on November 11th. Parents Shelley and Mario Esquivel are also plaintiffs in the lawsuit. Young Luke issued a statement through his attorney saying, I was really looking forward to trying out for the boys' golf team and, if I made it, training and competing with and learning from other boys and improving my game. I just want to play like any other kid. The proud mom of a young trans girl is challenging a similar law in Texas. Lisa Stanton told Pink News this week, We are not going to sit idly by and let this law make our child a second-class citizen. 
She believes that her daughter Maya deserves the ability to play with her peers and gain all the things that come from being a part of a team. Stanton has asked attorneys at Lambda Legal and the ACLU to challenge the state's trans sports ban in court. The ACLU of Texas told Pink News that they are still exploring the legal options for how to best fight the ban. Lambda Legal has yet to respond to Pink News as we record this newscast. Finally, before the trans sports bans, there were the bathroom bans. A number of Republican-controlled states, like Indiana, imposed laws requiring trans people to use public restrooms and locker rooms based on their birth gender. Now, two trans boys at Terre Haute North High School are suing the school district for denying them the right to use the campus facilities that are consistent with their gender identity. Both boys have been out as trans since elementary school. They use male names and pronouns and are both receiving medically supervised hormone therapy. They're being represented by the ACLU of Indiana and Indiana Legal Services in a federal lawsuit against the Vigo County School Corporation. Not only were the boys illegally denied the use of facilities consistent with their gender identity, the suit also charges that the district refused to instruct teachers to use their preferred male names and pronouns. The principal even refused to allow them to be listed in the school yearbook under their male identities. According to the lawsuit, the school district's actions violate both the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and Title IX of the Education Amendments Act of 1972. Ken Falk is the legal director of the ACLU of Indiana. Falk spoke to local TV station WTHI. There are a lot of transgender kids in Indiana. Uh, there are a lot of school systems that are refusing to recognize them as having gender dysphoria. There are a lot of kids who are suffering. And I think it's the hope of these uh, two young men um, that not only can they get some remedy for themselves, but they can help educate schools to do not just the right thing, but do what's required by the law. That's News Wrap, Global Queer News with Attitude, for the week ending November 13th, 2021. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Wenzel Jones. Stay healthy. And I'm Melanie Keller. Stay safe. Loyalty to defeated, disgraced, and deluded former U.S. President Donald Trump is a mystery to political observers around the world, but nothing is more surprising than the sight of queer conservatives still locked in his thrall. The LGBTQ log cabin Republicans took their annual gala to Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida to worship their fantasy king, but had to settle for their imaginary queen. She made history as the first Republican first lady to ever support our community, the log cabin Republicans and LGBT Americans. She's smart, she's fashionable, she's stylish. Let's be honest, the gays love First Lady Melania Trump. Now don't get me wrong, we love President Trump too, but man, she made him look good. Thank you, Mrs. Trump, for your support, for your class, your grace, your elegance, and your style, and for being the most memorable First Lady you've ever had.
Don't Ask, Don't Tell, when it was taken down in 2011, sent a message that LGB service members could serve with honesty and they could serve openly. It's tolerance. But there's a difference between tolerance and celebration. So this Navy ship sends an important message to the world. Milk's message sets sail later in the program. Everyone thinks that I'm a freak, the way I dress, the way I speak. I'm too thin, I hate my voice. I'd switch lives if I had the choice. I'll be tall and rich someday. Everything will go my way. Someday. Someday. Who feels more threatened in high school locker rooms and bathrooms? Is it the heterosexual and cisgender kids who fear being preyed on or even being in the presence of their queer peers? That's who Republican-dominated U.S. state legislatures seem fixated on protecting with their anti-LGBTQ bathroom bills. If you remember high school, or if you're there now, your experience is likely to be different, more like the reality the teens from Outcasting Overtime describe. This is Outcasting Overtime from Media for the Public Good, producer of Public Radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Hi, I'm Lucas, an Outcasting Youth participant. On this edition, Outcaster Brian talks about the harsh reality that goes through some LGBTQ teenagers' minds in the school locker room. Everyone has to go through situations in which you feel like you're standing at a fork in the road. Being a teenager and developing into an adult is one of them. It's hard. Your body changes, your hormones are rushing your voice is changing, and you're generally feeling self-conscious. It makes school and social life much harder. One of the most uncomfortable places for a teenager is the school locker rooms. I've been uncomfortable with my body since I was in middle school, and it makes me feel restless in public spaces. Seeing people who are more comfortable in their own skin makes me feel worse about myself. Those who participate in sports are used to changing in front of other people, but I'm not. I get anxious just by walking into the locker room. I'll make a beeline to my locker and I'll get out as quickly as I can. Changing around other people already makes me feel like I'm in the limelight. But on top of this, I worry that other students will see me differently because I'm bisexual. They'll get the idea that I'm captivated by them, but I'm not. Based on comments that my peers have made, it feels like they limit my entire existence to my sexuality and assume that I want to harass them while they're changing. Just knowing that makes me anxious, and I'm constantly afraid of being judged just to meet a class requirement. I try my best to distance myself from gym class, but I still feel like people are watching me no matter how hard I try to focus on something else. If I accidentally make eye contact with someone, I get a rush of anxiety, and my heart goes a million miles an hour. And in my mind, all I can think of is people talking behind my back. I'm not a pervert. And I don't want to be perceived as someone who harasses people while they're trying to change. People who are close to me know I wouldn't do that, but others still think I do. Worrying about these things takes a toll on my mental health. After I leave the locker room, I find myself thinking about it for the rest of the day, and rumors resonate in my head. I keep putting myself down for something I didn't mean to do. In my experience, being an LGBTQ person in a school locker room causes increased discomfort. From delusions caused by anxiety about people talking about me to overthinking certain situations. And this is one of the many scenarios in my life that are affected by being an LGBTQ youth. Put yourself in my shoes. 
in life, try to think about how other people's identities and experience can affect their lives in ways that aren't immediately apparent. This kind of open-mindedness can help people like me with these issues and help an LGBTQ youth like me feel a bit more comfortable in everyday school life. Thanks for listening to Outcasting Overtime. Outcasting Overtime is a production of Media for the Public Good, which produces public radio's LGBTQ youth programs. Our executive producer is Mark Sophis. Visit us at outcastingmedia.org to get information about outcasting, watch outcasting videos, access our social media links, and listen to all outcasting content. Thanks, and thanks for listening. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month, some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give online at thiswayout.org. And don't forget This Way Out on hashtag Giving Tuesday this November 30th. Like thousands who served in the U.S. military in the bad old days, Navy Lieutenant Harvey Milk was persecuted and drummed out because he was a homosexual. Milk, of course, went on to be an LGBTQ liberation icon as one of the country's first out elected officials and was assassinated in 1978. The later Milk was also a passionate anti-war activist, so it's a fairly ironic tribute to his achievements that a ship has now been named in his honor. Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro spoke at the November 6th ceremony to launch the USNS Harvey Milk in San Diego, California. When I saw that we were christening the the Harvey Milk, Stuart, uh, I knew that I needed to be here today because the example that your uncle set for all Americans, the, the life he led in the Navy and the life he led afterwards is truly exemplary. And the Secretary of the Navy needed to be here today, not just to amend the wrongs of the past, but to give inspiration to all our LGBTQ community leaders who serve in the Navy in uniform today and in the civilian workforce as well, too, and to tell them that we're committed to them in the future. You know, I, I travel the country and I travel the world and I talk to our officers and I talk to our, our enlisted folks. And one of the messages that I always leave with them is be bold, be brave. Take care of the people that you lead. Know them, understand them, but more importantly, fight for them. Fight for them. That's what your uncle did. He fought for the people that cared. He made a difference. That's the kind of naval leaders that we need in our officer corps and our enlisted corps and our civilian workforce. So I'm proud to be here with you today. It's great to see that the man who named this great ship, the 70th Secretary of the Navy, Ray Mabus, is, is here with us today. You demonstrated great courage as well, too, in naming this class of ship and in naming this very ship after uh, Harvey Milk. So I thank you, Mr. Secretary. I'd love to be able to take credit for that, but you deserve all the credit. So how about a round of applause for our 75th Secretary of the Navy? Milk's nephew, Stewart, of the Harvey Milk Foundation gave the principal address. I want to thank Secretary Del Toro 
And um, Secretary Ray Mabus, whose design and dream to create a John Lewis class that includes not only Uncle Harvey, but uh, in fact, as soon as Uncle Harvey takes off, or I, I'm calling him Uncle Harvey, as soon as the U.S. Navy ship Harvey takes off, um, a week later they will start work on the Robert F. Kennedy in this very same berth. And that will be followed by Sojourner Truth, and it really was a great visionary action um, that you had taken in putting together that class. Thank you. And lastly, and not least in terms of thanks, I want to thank the international court system and the Queen Mother, um, Nicole Murray Ramirez, whose leadership, vision, and hard work is an inspiration to us all. <laughs> Uncle Harvey did not set out to have a ship, a school, um, a street, or a park, or anything named after him. He did have a dream, however. The son of a Navy family, both my grandfather Bill and my grandmother Minnie served in the Navy, my, my grandmother in the auxiliary. Uncle Harvey was really extremely proud to carry on that family tradition, being a commissioned officer. But Uncle Harvey did have a dream. Now, one of those dreams was for service members to serve with authenticity and not be forced to hide who they were or who they loved. Yes, Uncle Harvey was forced to resign, and I, and I would hope that his biography would, would include that. And there's a reason for that. Uh, but he has a less than honorable discharge. He was forced to resign because he was gay. I thank Secretary Mabus, who provided the full DD-214 to the family, which included two weeks of interrogation. And, and, uh, and I think it's important that we teach that we have evolved as a society, as a culture, that we move forward. But we have to teach our history to prevent ourselves from going backwards and repeating it. And I think it's really critically important. Now, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, when it was taken down in 2011, sent a message that LGB service members could serve with honesty and they could serve openly. It's tolerance. But today we're celebrating something much bigger than tolerance. What we're celebrating today is that the Navy not only recognizes but honors those. So there's a difference between tolerance and celebration. So this Navy ship, sends an important message to the world. Secretary Mavis and the Obama White House had asked me about reversing Harvey's dishonorable discharge, which thankfully you can now do if you're a family member. Or, and and, and, and I, I, I explained that I thought it was important not to do that, to keep the memory of how we did not honor everyone in this very honorable service. Now, let me tell you about the impact that the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk already has made. In 2016, Secretary Mavis held the naming ceremony on Treasure Island, and we got hundreds of emails and letters um, from all over the world that heard about the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk. And let me tell you the story about one. We got an email from a young Kuwaiti named Khalil, 15 years old. Now, in, for those of you who do not know, in Kuwait it's still illegal to be LGBT. Um, in 70 countries it's still illegal to be LGBT. Um, and it's still punishable by death in, in, in almost a dozen. Now in Kuwait they don't even have to have the death penalty because there's a thing called honor killing that goes on today. Where families will kill the child who comes out. So Khalil had written to us and said that he had planned his own suicide 
so that his parents did not have to go through the trouble of killing him. But he heard about the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk, and he, was, he wrote to us and said, I'm sitting here in the port in Kuwait, waiting for the U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk to come. I have put aside my plan of suicide, and I think I have a future. And we have continued contact with Khalil. He is safe. He is hopeful. The U.S. Navy ship Harvey Milk has already begun to spread hope and the dream of my uncle around the world. Let me close, as I often do, about my uncle Harvey's ultimate will and, yes, his prophecy. He did, not he did anticipate his assassination. He didn't know who, he didn't know when, but as Anne would be able to tell you, the death threats were relentless, and it wasn't just because he was openly LGBT, but he was asking people to join him to take off his ma their masks and to be authentic. Now, I'm always asked at these events if I am and the family is sad that we didn't get to see a day like today where we have so many wonderful openly LGBT people serving in not only in the military but in elected office as mayor and as, um, as a cabinet officer, um, celebrities, role models. And you see, Harvey actually did dream of today. He dreamed of the day that we could take off our masks, that we could be authentic, that we could live openly. You see, that dream of my uncle gave him courage, the courage to keep fighting. He dreamed of each of us, LGBT and ally, all of those that intersect the marginalized and disenfranchised communities who live their authenticity. I firmly believe when those assassin bullets went ripping into my dear uncle, when that final bullet went smashing into his brain, that Harvey left this world, seeing all of us fulfilling our potential, being authentic, and making today and our dream and his dream a reality. Thank you all for fulfilling Uncle Harvey's dream. Now I'd like to direct your attention to the striker platform. Paula, would you please christen the ship? After Stuart Milk's remarks, the traditional bottle of champagne was smashed across the bow by Navy veteran Paula Nera, who serves as the clinical program director for the Johns Hopkins Center for Transgender Health. In the name of the United States of America, I christen thee Harvey Milk. May God bless this ship and all who sail in her.
Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Wenzel Jones and Melanie Keller, produced by Brian DeShazer, and from Outcasters Lucas and Brian, produced by Mark Sofus. Billy Joel, David Brown, and the Village People performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentum, and donors Paul Bannon and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at Post Office Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on KPCA Petaluma, California, WRFC Rochester, New York, 2MTM Coonamble, New South Wales, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.